Well, we certainly want to extend Christian greetings to each one present here this morning. Um, I've been blessed this week. I really have your hospitality, your warmness. You all have been a blessing. And I just want to say thank you for making this an easy week and an enjoyable week to be with you. I titled the message this morning, As Christ Loved. And when I think of uh, how Christ loved, it is almost, well it is, immeasurable. It is hard for me to encapsulate the magnitude of his love. He gave many examples how to love, and he taught how to love And when I think of, uh, can I say, an avenue whereby God wants to express His love through, my mind goes to one of His, uh, His avenues, and that is the home. Place where, uh, marriage is, is lived out, place where children are raised, And directed for life. So when I think of God sitting on his throne, and this is just an image in my mind, I see two arms that God uses. One is the civil authorities, that is an arm of God, and the other arm that I see that he uses is the home. And then obviously the church as well. But when I think of those two avenues, civil authorities, and the home, uh, and those are areas where God wants to express His will and way through. We as uh, homemakers, we as people that have a home, uh, are vested with a tremendous responsibility. Tremendous. And I'd like for us to go to the to the Word of God and see the premises whereby God expresses his desire for the home. So take your Bibles with me and uh, turn to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. And I find it very interesting. The verses that I'm about to read in the Jewish uh, religion, yet today it is called the Shema. And it's one that they recite twice a day, yet today. And so the Shema is not only uh, a pattern or a, a prayer to, of reciting for the Jews, Jesus also referred to the Shema when the Pharisee quizzed him, um, what is the greatest in the law? Then Jesus referred to this passage and uh, found that very intriguing. So the Shema, what the word Shema means is hearing with intent. Hearing with the intent of obedience in mind. Verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is what Shema means. The first three words. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I commanded thee this day shall be where? Say it together. In thine heart. And then it says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them. And when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou, thou shalt, and, sorry, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates." And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which we, which he swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. And then he goes on and talks about uh, receiving many things that they did not do to get, or that they didn't do anything to get. But here it gives us a very, very fundamental, foundational, and yet profound foundation for a home. You know, it is uh, very sad. Most North American homes are a little bit like an airport terminal. And when you think of an airport terminal, I spent... Sometimes I think too much time in those places. But when I think of an airport terminal, I come in and it's not my final destiny. It's not a place that I call home. I just come in and if I have a little bit of time, I grab some refreshments. I catch up with my emails and then I move on into the next plane and away I go. American homes largely function the same way. It is a place that you just kind of you land for but a few minutes. You uh, get a little bit of refreshed. You get in, uh, you sit down in the lazy boy and you uh, go on to social media and whatever and you catch up with your email, your social activities and such like. And then uh, you quickly exit and you go on to the next event. Is that God's design for the home? Here it says, look at verse, primarily at verse 7. It says, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. A home is a place to teach. And you know what? Thou shalt talk to them when? On the run? No. When thou sittest in, thy, in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up. So a home... What I understand it to, what it should be, I fail in these areas because I've been called a mover and a shaker. Well, and uh, then sometimes we neglect our role in the home, and it's uh, it's been difficult at times in a, in the busyness of life. But number one is a place to teach, a place to love children, and in our society, children are not loved. And I'm not speaking for everybody, of course. There's also a lot of love for children. Uh, but primarily, children are not uh, 
considered. There's a lot more things. The yachts, the cottages, the boats, the uh, recreational, whatever. All those things have much more consideration in people's lives than, than children. It says, so obviously if you're going to teach, you're going to need to love children. Because it says we're supposed to teach them. And then it says, sit. Oh, okay. Well, I just thought that's for slackers. If you really want to get things done, you're not going to do that sitting. Well, we have to change our mindset. We have to understand. God says there's a time to sit. And then, always on the run. No, he says, when you walk. Not running. And uh, then it also gives us a time that we're supposed to go to bed. That's kind of important. I don't know if you all do it every once in a while, but I do occasionally. Uh, time to lie down. We get refreshed. Warren made the comment, I don't know what happens while I'm sleeping, but I sure wake up feeling a lot different than I did when I go to bed. That's why God says there's a time that you have to uh, ref get refreshed. Go to bed in a decent time. And then you can rise up in a time that is uh, accommodates uh, a time of interactive time. I see that is the foundation, the premises of a home. And you know what? All these things, to teach, to sit, to walk, and to lie down, and to rise up, are very difficult things to do if you're not at home. If you don't spend time together as a family, it's very difficult to do. And it's the curse of our culture. And I wonder sometimes if that is one of Satan's very effective tools is to get us so crazy busy that we don't have time. Because you know what happens if we don't take time? One of the most serious sins expressed in the Bible, and that is we forget God. Or you might say, oh no, I wouldn't, I'm a Christian, I would, that wouldn't happen. Yes, it will. Without a shadow of a doubt. I tell you, there's been weeks already that I have, I've been so taxed. And uh, say I have a, a business meeting somewhere and I travel extensively. The minute I wake up in the morning, out of the motel, into, uh, into work and such like, extremely taxed beyond what is even proper. By the end of the week, my sharpness and my zeal for God has weaned. And I don't think I'm the exception. And I want to say, friends, it is the curse of our culture is to be so, so taxed, trying to make ends meet on top of trying to uh, express our pleasures and desires in life. And the home suffers. At home, the home absolutely suffers. And if Satan and the world can destroy the home, uh, hell will be expanded. And I want to say, friends, it is a serious offense for God to see men and women neglect the very foundation of society, the very foundation of Christianity, the very foundation of God's design, and that is the home. A home is where God is reflected. 
And I'll just quickly read a few verses in Acts 17. It says they, that they should seek the Lord. If happily, happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Underscore that. God is not far from any one of us. Oh, I, I love that statement because there's times I don't sense that. And the reason I don't sense it is because I'm not taking the time to ponder, to meditate, and to seek. I'm engaged in the things and the cares of this life. But it says, he is not, not far from any one of us. For in him... In him, get a hold of this, in verse 28 of Acts 17, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also as our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Friends, the home is extremely crucial. Now I would like for you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 78. Just to reinforce another place, Psalm 78. It says, verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a Parable, I will utter dark sayings of old. When we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. And so there it gives us a picture. <clears throat> and it, well, let's read, read verse 5 and 6 here. For he establisheth a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Grandparents, get busy. It even says that we're supposed to be engaged in teaching uh, our grandchildren and such like. You know that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that said not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast in God. I'll say it again, friends. If we're not engaged in the things of God, and we're not following the premises and the basis of his teaching, we will forget. We will wean. We will wander away. And so let us be engaged. And when I go back to Deuteronomy, it says, teach diligently. That word diligently, in verse 7, if you study what that means, it means sharpness, like an arrow. So it says we're supposed to teach very, very clearly, decisively. And the words that we're going to teach are going to penetrate as it talks about in Ephesians and such like. So the foundation of the home, the foundation of our lives is our home and God's order in the home. Marriage, 
is a very key component. And I want to say, friends, I'll say it this way, it's a quote from Ravi Zacharias, and he says, Unless I understand the cross, I cannot understand why commitment to what is right must take precedence over what I prefer. Your marriage is the same as your conversion. It begins at the cross. Only then does the resurrection follow. And so I, I, I would encourage anybody, if you want to read a good book on marriage, then read Ravi Zacharias's book called I, Isaac, Take Thee, Rebecca. Very interesting book. Very helpful. Note that the very things said about Christ and the church are to be true for husband and wife. So in a home, very crucial is uh, a functioning marriage relationship, husband and wife. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And I, before I read the, this portion of scripture, I want for us to understand there is a direct link between marriage and the church. And it is an inseparable link. It is a two-letter word that I want for you to underscore as we read this passage. And that two-letter word connects the two together, Christ and the church and husband and wife. And you cannot separate that link. It's inseparable. And the word is A-S, as. And take note of that word as we go and read through this here. That is the direct link between marriage and the church. Verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. Submitting yourself one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought, so there it is, it's not the word as, but so ought, comparable, so ought men to love their wives 
as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but instead he nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall join unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And there is that link. And you can see he makes, he makes a very, very binding connection between husband and wife and Christ and the church. We can't separate that. And it is very clear. In most cases, it is very, very revealing. You know, there is a very clear window into your marriage. Every one of you that are sitting here, it's a very clear window into your marriage. You know what that window is? Your relationship with the church. It's no secret. No secret at all. If your relationship with the church is strained, defective, distant, you can write it down. That is how your marriage is. I found that to be so accurate over time. Because of this word, as. I didn't put that word in there. That is the infinite word of God. And he says, as your marriage is, so is Christ and the church. So if people say that, oh, our marriage is really good, but they are have but their relationship with the church is poor, I find it very difficult. Very difficult to believe. Because both are covenants that we make. We make covenants not to a denomination. I understand that your marriage vows do not make covenants to a denomination, but it makes a covenant to the church. Marriage is another covenant. These are two eternal covenants. Did you understand that? Covenants that are written in heaven and no man, no woman has access to it. No man or woman can take it away from you. It is permanent. It is eternal. Marriage is a covenant. Christ in the church, our, our, uh, our submission and our commitment to Christ in the church is a covenant. We are covenant people. How we view and respect baptismal vows, which is the church, is a good indicator how we view and respect the marriage vows. There is, uh, I know in the auto industry, 
people that have mechanic license in Canada and other professions as well, they have to uh, go about uh, and, and refresh or make sure that they're current with, I believe nursing is the same, and uh, doctors and such like. You have to maintain uh, uh, and, and be refreshed and stay current with your commitments that you have made and with your uh, insight into uh, your profession. I'm going to ask the question, how many here are married? Raise your hands. Okay, wonderful. Okay, how many have been married for five years or less? Five years or less. Wonderful, okay. How many have been married for 30 years or more? Oh, there's a few. Wonderful, okay. My question to you is, uh, have you ever taken time to look at your marriage vows? How many of you took your marriage vows that you made, you sat face to face with each other and looked and, and reevaluated, not reevaluated, but uh, refreshed yourself in the marriage vows, word for word, all the way through? How many of you did that since you've been married? Very typical. Not one hand pulls up. Shame on us. Is there, this is an eternal covenant that we made one to another, one, from one gender to another gender, and we don't even look at it to see as a, as a guide. This is a covenant that we made people. You know, for other professions, we invest a lot of time to stay fresh in it, don't we? Oh, yes, it's important. I need my certificate. And therefore, I need to put in so much awareness. But something of this magnitude, we don't even sit down and we evaluate. How many of you know what you said? Or was that a day that, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, oh, my, you just walk, seeing that bright walking down the aisle. And, you know, you, you just got, were, you were so into getting married that you don't even know what you precisely said. Right? Maybe some of you are better at it than I am, and I'm, I'm going to give you that. But my memory needs to be refreshed. And my covenant of that magnitude needs to be refreshed. Let me go through with you this morning. And I will tell you what you said. Maybe not verbatim, maybe not word for word, but the sense. And so, you know, you were standing up there in front of the audience, face to face, and you had, oh, you had this big smile on your face. You were so excited. And all you wanted to do is get the, get the bishop on the roll so he can get through these covenants and so that we can get married and go on. You know, then, oh, then that, just that moment to be introduced to the audience as Mr. and Mrs. Oh, you were just so excited. Right? Right. Okay. So, but this is what happened between the time that you walked the aisle and pronounced husband and wife. Okay, just so you know. Uh, to both of you, do you believe that matrimony is an ordinance instituted of God and confirmed and sanctioned by Jesus Christ? Well, of course. No, no, we're not done yet. That you must therefore enter upon it in the fear of God. And what did you say? Oh, you don't remember. 
What did you say? I do. Oh, thank you, Dennis. Can you repeat what he said all together? What did you say? Yes. Okay. That's actually what you said. Just so you know. Then, the second one, he says, He then asked the bridegroom. Okay? Who are the bridegrooms here? Let's get this straight. Alright, who are the bridegrooms here? But you don't be shy. Thank you. Alright. So this is, okay, so now this was addressed to you. Okay, are you ready? Do you confess and declare that you are unmarried and free from all other marriage relationships and engagements whatsoever? And you said? Yes, that is precisely what you said. And just underscore other engagements whatsoever. Then he goes on, and now the bride. Who's the bride? Yeah, okay. So then he looks at her and he says, Do you confess and declare that you are unmarried and free from all other marriage relationships and engagements whatsoever? And you said? Oh, yeah. Yes. Then he looks at the bridegroom again. Will you? And you just, in your mind, I know you were like saying, Yeah, yeah. I, of course I will. You even said yes before he even asked the question. In your mind, Okay. But, he, but this is what he said. Will you in the presence of God and these witnesses take the bridegroom at your side, the sister by your side, to be your wedded wife? Well, yes, of course. Why do you think we're here? Okay. Will you love and cherish her? Well, yes. Why, why would you question me on that? Provide and care for her. Well, uh, yeah. In health and in sickness. In prosperity in adversity. I'm not done yet. Exercise patience. Kindness. Forbearance toward her. Live with her in peace. As maketh a faithful Christian husband. Underscore. Forsaking all others. Keep yourself only onto her as long as I want to. Is that what you said? No. As long as we live. And what did you say? Well, that's a pretty cheap way of saying it. Can you say it? All of you, together. I think you said it in that enthusiasm that day. Why wouldn't you do it now? Because you now are understanding what you said. And I want to say, friends, it's important that we understand. Now we go to the bridegroom. And he says, will you in the presence of God and and these witnesses take the brother at your side to be your wedded husband? Will you love and cherish him in health and in sickness, in prosperity and in in adversity, Share with him the joys and sorrows of life. Exercise patience, kindness, and forbearance toward him. Live with him in peace as becometh a faithful Christian wife. Forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto him as long as both of you shall live. And you said, what? I will. 
Do you understand that those two words are recorded in heaven? Marked as a covenant. And then the moment arises that you were waiting for. The bishop then says, will you take each other by the right hand? And you could hardly get that done fast enough. You wanted this done, okay? And yes, you took each other by the right hand, placed his hand on yours, and he says, upon which he takes, or upon, you know, they take the joint hands together, and he said, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob be with you, and bless this union abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, and what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. In the name of Christ and the church. Oh, sorry. In the name of Christ and the church. And according to the laws of the state of. I herewith join you as one flesh. Go forth as husband and wife. Live in peace. Fear God. And keep his commandment. And you knelt for prayer. Now there's a lot in those vows. Were you aware that you that your vow was to that magnitude? Would it be wise for husbands and wives to sit together and look each other straight into the eye in, a, in each other's eyes and ask the question, "How am I doing?" And men, if you do that, and I encourage you to do that, for crying out loud, shut up and listen. Okay? Listen. You might learn. And if and I want you to honestly ask each other that question. How am I doing? Refresh yourself. How am I doing in cherishing you? How am I doing, <clears throat> excuse me, in loving you? How am I doing in providing, not only in the material, but also in the spiritual? Remember the foundational things there back in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6? How am I fulfilling my call as a husband? And then listen. And when they say, well, then, the, then don't change the subject. Keep on listening. And then when they say, and, and mark this down. Most times, I'm guessing they will likely start in by sharing, you know, the good. But I want you to really listen for this word. Three letters. But. If they say but in their conversation, listen extremely carefully from what they say from that word on. Are we serious about our covenant that we made? Are we? Do we understand the magnitude of it? And so I would encourage you the next time that February the 14th, uh, men, do you know when that is? What is that day? <laughs> Valentine's Day. That's right. Dennis is on the ball. All right. Not only on that day, but okay. So you want to do something special. This is what I encourage you to do. Ask the brethren here, uh, Dennis, if you wish, for a copy of the wedding vows. I did this, uh, I put them in kind of decorative uh, fonts, put them on a paper with a bit of decor around it. 
And uh, my suggestion would be is get a bouquet of flowers, your favorite hot drink, uh, whatever that is, and candidate would likely be Tim Hortons, but anyhow. <laughs> grab a moment and a time in your life to make it special. And then have those marriage vows as the centerpiece alongside of those that bouquet of roses. And seriously, and I mean honestly, inquire with one another. How am I doing? How can I improve my relationship that I can fulfill and maintain fulfilling the covenant that I have made to you? These are some very stunning words, and they are deep. They're very deep, and I'll reiterate them again. Will you love and cherish her? Do a study. What does the word cherish mean? Men, we need help in this. I'm not the only one. Okay, and I don't find comfort in the in a community of people that think like this, like I do. If I don't understand what what the word cherish means, I need to understand. Provide and care for her, not only when things go well, but health and in sickness. I tell you, friends, it is heart touching. We have a couple at home in the congregation, and the husband has MS. His health is deteriorating. Rapidly, he is in a wheelchair. Uh, we collectively uh, got together, bought them a van so that they can have wheelchair accessible van. And I tell you, friends, when I see that woman taking that wheelchair out of that van, rolling it down that ramp, and bringing him into church, yeah, that's tough. But she's living out her covenant. It's very touching. Husbands, will you care and provide for them when there is a sickness? I remember laying in bed with my back. I had three back surgeries. L4, L5, herniated disc, sciatic nerve. Immobilized, I wasn't able to work anymore. And when I see my wife just pouring her all into caring and providing when I should have been the one to do that. It was extremely humbling. It was difficult. But that's an expression. Love and cherish. Care and provide. And when there is more month left than what there is money, Love is continuing to flow. When there's financial reversals, whether through mishap or bad choice, kindness, forbearance one toward another, peace, peace. Live with her in peace. Live with him in peace. The biggest favor you can do to your children is to live out your marriage covenant in peace. That's the biggest favor that you can do to your children. Men, the biggest favor you can do to their children is love your wife with just lavishly. No restraint. Love her. And you know what? My mom and dad, in the, in the culture that they're from, 
I knew without a doubt in my mind that my dad loves my mom. And I, I just look at him, you know what? And I've never heard him say, I love you. But you know, in his way, you know what he said? He says, mother, you are something else. <laughs> and he said that a lot. And I could just sense the love just lavishly flowing from his heart to hers. And she'd look at him. She was a very, she's a very quiet type of person. You know, she didn't take a hook line and singer and bubbled all over him. No. But I knew, for, I, without a doubt, mother, I can just hear him. And he still says that. 88 years old. 65 years of marriage. And he looks at, here, at, at my mom and he says, mother, you are something else. He just loves her. And that was a, that's a testimony. All 12 of us. Sorry. Let me clarify. All 11 of us are married. And my second oldest brother is not. But we all know. Without a doubt. That mom and dad. They love each other. They're living out. I, I can tell you. Raising 12 children. Yeah, that covenant was put to the test. Without a shadow of a doubt. But on this side, I can look back. And I've never heard my dad raise his voice towards mom. Not once in my years. There was one span of a week that I remember that it was quiet between the two. And I was worried. Not by what they said, but I could sense as a young teenager... It's a struggle. I have no idea what it was. But it was a, a span of a week. And I remember that. And I have to think, when I look back, I've been so blessed with my upbringing. It wasn't perfect, but I am I'm so blessed. And so when I hear of the repercussions and the damage and the harm that happens when husbands don't harness their tongue, and verbally misuse and abuse their wives in front of their children, it is absolutely devastating. Because if I can remember that mark, that little window of maybe not much socializing, how bad would it be if they would have been verbal? I respect with great honor my parents. I really do. Culturally, we're in different fields. But in Christ, we are one. Marriage is a covenant. And we are covenant people. There are four Greek terms for love. Four. One is agape. A-G-A-P-E. And the meaning of that word love is to... Uh, Pour out. It's a sacrificial love. Pure enough to be used even of God. Christ expressed the agape love as he laid down his life for you and I. Then it is phileo love. That is a love like a friend. So when I, when we have friends and we have share that love, that is phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O. And then there's the third one that is 
Storic love, S-T-O-R-G-E. And that love is the protective kind of love, best described of parents loving their children and they stand in the gap and they're protecting their children. That is stoic love. And then there's the eros love, E-R-O-S. And that is the romantic love. And there is only one relationship on planet Earth where all four are to be expressed in and through. And that's called marriage. Agape, phileo, storic, and eros. All four are to be expressed in a marriage. There is no other relationship the whereby these are to be expressed in and through. Now, do you always feel like loving? Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, okay? Do you always feel like loving? Are you always lovable? The answer is no. Quite the other sometimes. Love is as much a question of the will as it is of emotion. If you will to love somebody, you can. Because I'm telling you, if you're going to rely on your emotion to govern the level and magnitude of your love for husband and wife, you will be sorely disappointed. It has as much to do with the will as it has of the emotion. Marriage is very, very foundational. What time do you normally close? I'm sorry, I didn't. I'm sorry? When the Spirit's done. Okay. Uh, I hope you're hungry. I'm not hungry yet. <laughs> no, sorry. I want to respect that. So, marriage. Very key, very foundational. And then out of that, that foundational from Deuteronomy, marriage in the right standing before God, out of that, now we are only, now are we ready to teach. Teach up a child in the way he should go, and he and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the way I would understand that, there are those that physically... And spiritually depart from the faith. No question about it. But what I believe that is saying. They will never forget what they have been taught. In their childhood. I've heard and sat with many older men. That don't go to church anymore. But they can still think back. In their Sunday school time. Many. Even though that they aren't active. They won't forget. Train up a child. Place that into their hearts and minds. Not only by word, men and women, but also by deed. By word, reading, exhorting, correcting, encouraging, and blessing. But if you do only by the word, then I will tell you, my friends, it will fall on hard ground. If you want to do a study, 
I'm telling you a lot of studies you need to do, and I hope you will as you go on in life. Truth and mercy, those twins, don't separate them. Because truth without mercy is deadly. And mercy without truth is spineless. Those two together, very important. So you don't only teach by word, but also in deed. And now listen, fathers and mothers. Children will become what you say they are. Mark that down. I've heard too many parents saying negative things about their two-year-old. Oh, well, they make excuses. He's just two years old, or he or she is two years old. And so that kind of gives them the license to be brats. And then it even gives the parents the license to call them brats. Mark it down. Children will become what you say they are. If they are terrible twos, they'll be terrible. If they're brats, they will be brats. This is one reason many parents today are aggressively pursuing uh, life matters in life. They're aggressively pursuing careers and such like. A lot of those men in the background of their mind is they're trying to live above of what they've been told they are. And they're trying to live a life of proving. Do your children a favor. Tell them who they are by God's grace. Tell them who they are in the eyes of God. Tell them who they are in love and in charity. Because if you're, if you're downplaying who they are, there is a fight in every single one of us. And we are going to try to pursue the level of where we have been told we are. If we have a nobody, if we've been a nobody, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of fight and feist. If you want to get a child to do something, tell him he can. And there's a big possibility he'll try it. And that is precisely what many mature men are trying to do today. They're trying to live out above of what their parents have told them that they are. And that is why we have some very good businessmen. I'm not painting them all the same color, but I know there's a large percentage. In hot pursuit to overcome the criticism and what they were perceived to be told they are. Do you want your children to believe what you say? Do you? Do you as parents want your children to believe what you say? Then tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. It's, it's awful when I hear Parents threatening to discipline, threatening to discipline, threatening to discipline, and threatening to discipline. And the child's octave just gets louder and louder and louder because the child knows what you're saying is a blatant lie. All it is is a threat. It's a shotgun with a blank in it. A lot of noise. But that's it. And the child knows that. And you can hold the gun right to their head and they aren't worried about it because they know it's a blank. Do the children believe what you say? 
Do you want them to believe what, they, what you're going to say? Sparing the rod is the anti-God movement of today. He that spareth the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him. Be time. Be time meanings now. Now I want to say that charitably because I want to say this. There's a few things that I, as I have told you, I became a Christian when I was 28 years old and I had two boys, or we had two boys already in our family at that time. And I tell you what, how petrified I was to discipline in the right frame of mind. Because disciplining, disciplining outside of godly principles is a brutally deadly thing. Disciplining in anger is ungodly. It's destructive. Very destructive. John Copeland's early, I went to a seminar, Irma and I went to a seminar soon after we, I became a Christian and we just drank in all the, the, the information we could. And one thing that I'll never forget that he told in his seminar, John Copeland's did, is you must, men and women, primarily men, <clears throat> you must discipline yourself before you discipline your child. Because undisciplined men disciplining a child is deadly. What you're doing is you're breaking their spirit instead of breaking their will. And a person with a strong will and a broken spirit is a dangerous individual. Discipline yourself. And I'll give you this testimony because because I needed it so much. We were sitting around the kitchen table and this was after I was a Christian and I was trying to find God's will and way to live out not sparing the rod and yet dealing with it properly and God was so gracious we were sitting around the kitchen table one night Randy and Trevor and Irma and I and we were coloring and I do not remember the details but I know that there was an accumulation of events that I knew that I and procrastination and discipline I, I know what that is I just don't like it I don't like disciplining so I procrastinated, I procrastinated. But anyhow, there was an accumulation of things. <clears throat> and Randy overstepped the bond, or the, bond or the, the perimeters that we had spelled out. And it says, uh, Randy, I, I need to discipline. So I made that clear to him. And I really, really tried hard to follow the instruction I was given by the word of God. And so I took him aside, went down the basement, sat him on my knee and I explained to him what he did wrong and why I need to discipline. And then I gave him corporal punishment and then I took him back into my arms and I loved him. And I explained to him again what I, why I had to discipline him. We cried together and then we went back up to the kitchen table and you don't know I don't think you can fully grasp what was going on in my heart. Will this child believe what I told him? I love him. 
And I was, I, there was a sense of intrepidation in my heart. I would say about 15 minutes after we were sitting around the kitchen table again, coloring. Randy says, Dad? And my heart sank. I just expected that he has a struggle with what I did. But this is what he said. Dad, you are a good dad. I took... <laughs> Friends, from that day forth, I knew disciplining God's way, as hard as what it is, will result in godly fruit. That is what I needed, and God so graciously gave it to me. Was he a perfect child? No, but he sure was a mouthpiece from God. To affirm what his word says is true. Undisciplined children are locked in their own frustration. They have built their own perimeters. And they're in there. They're just, you know how children look? Yeah, I know you do, right? They're, They're just miserable. Do them a favor. Break that shell through godly discipline and they become free. Don't leave them in their frustration. Please. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Or give them another candy to shut them up. No, my friends, you're just adding to the frustration. They're they're in prison looking for a way out. And our society is saying, Don't discipline. It's wrong. And you know what they're doing? They're generating another generation of people that are enslaved with their own emotion and with their own frustration. And that is why there is so much expression of what is coming out from inside. And music is a powerful thing that is expressing precisely what is inside of a captivated heart that is not able to be freed from their own enslavement. Because they were not disciplined. They weren't taught. They weren't taught by the word of God. Oh, that enslavement is so big. Discipline leave, uh, undisciplined leaves a child locked in the frustration of guilt, of wrong they have done. Discipline has a way of teaching the wrong they have done and free them from that bondage. Warning. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. I have this underscored in red in my notes. Breaking their will and not breaking their spirit. Criticizing their character, their makeup, and who they are. You are breaking their spirit. And a broken spirit is so hard to restore. But a broken will is a beautiful thing. Love as Christ loves. Influence of a father is so, so powerful. Now I'll give you one more little glimpse of testimony into my life. Again, because of my failing of being a Christian and failing my children in many ways. Much more is caught than what is 
taught. Remember that. Influence of a dad. My son, I, I love music. I, I, I just, oh, I love music. This morning as the songs were sung again, and almost every night, well, I think every night, songs are so, so inspiring. So I love music. And as a dad, and as a person not being a Christian, I love the wrong music. The first song that my oldest son sang was Achy Breaky Heart by Billy, Way, by Billy Ray Cyrus. I can still see him there tapping his foot and I thought it was so cute. Achy Breaky Heart. When I became a Christian, God convicted me. And my second son's first song was Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. For the Bible tells me so. Tremendous difference. All because of the influence of a father. Love even as Christ loved. And give yourself for the cause. Jesus gave himself for the cause that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Underscore in conclusion, marriage or the, your relationship with the church is a window into the marriage. You can't separate the two. Fathers are a strong influence into a godly home. Foundational truths in a home. Bear them from the word of God. Bear them from the word of God. Seek them out. And love as Christ loved. From the Shema in Deuteronomy, it says, We are to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, strength, and might. And what is the second of the greatest commandment? What is the second one? That's right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? Love, love lavishly, love godly, and God will be glorified, and you will be blessed.